Thank you. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. I feel like we've already had a very, very long sermon and uh, you're right, Dave, there's nothing left to say about the uh, putting on the armour of God. Um, great to be back here at Monty and as I do when I'm here, I just want to take a couple of minutes to give you a quick snapshot of what uh, I have been doing. I run the Entrust Foundation and uh, we're uh, just talking about investing wisely in the Kingdom of God. And we can have all the armour, and I'm a bit nervous about standing with him behind me actually, I'm not quite sure what's going to happen. But, uh, but um, uh, we can have all the armour of God, we can have everything sorted out in our Christian life, but unless we do something with it, it's actually not, uh, not part of God's plan. And so uh, I've just got a few stats here for you about what's been happening uh, with Entrust. I was here I think in March last year. Since then I've been in India for three and a half weeks right from the north down to the south of India. I was in Asia and Laos and Cambodia and Thailand earlier this year doing some training. But here are a few statistics. So 300 uh, people in Uganda have been given microloans. 101 wells uh, have been built through uh, people who help fund and trust in Cambodia. Uh, We've had nearly 25,000 direct beneficiaries have received uh, some sanitation education. If you just give people clean water, you don't teach them sanitation, they will get sick. And if you just teach them sanitation and you don't give them clean water, they will still get sick. So both are important. 3,400 people have received water filters. These are simple uh, ceramic water filters that fit inside a plastic bucket. The people have to put $2 of their own money into the filter. We don't do handouts because we've found that when you do handouts, People take it for granted and have no value of the, of the thing that you're helping them with. So Waterfield will cost about $17. They have to tip in $2. They have to sign a document to say that they will use the water filter properly and they can't write most of them so they put their thumbprint for their signature on the document. But we've distributed these uh, over 3,000 water filters. This may not seem a big deal when we live in Melbourne, Australia. I don't know how many bathrooms or toilets you have in your one house but many families in the world, living in the two-thirds world, do not have a toilet, not even one, not even a long-drop toilet. And so we have uh, realised that sanitation and water and training is just the most essential thing to, uh, to uh, life in those parts of the world. And when you go into the community and you offer that without preaching at people, people say, why do you do this? Why do you bother with helping us with these things? And then there is a chance to, to of course share the gospel and to share Christ with these people. There are 51% less illnesses in the villages where we have been able to put water filters and, uh, and toilets and, uh, and help people with sanitation. 51% drop um, in illnesses and that means that people can go to work, it means they can provide an income for their families, it means kids can go to school. So just by providing water and sanitation and toilets it has a domino effect right through the community. There's been an increase in family income because people aren't sick, they can work, so family income increases and it builds and sustains villages and communities. I said I was just in India in November last year and I I met uh, with some ladies who had been given a $100 loan. In fact, 300 of them had been given a $100 loan and it's changed their world. I spoke to one woman, and I think I've got a picture of her in a second. I'll tell you her story in a second. 65 young kids living in a slum in Yangon have been able to go to a preschool every year for the last five or six or seven years. What does that mean? If you were born in a slum, 
you have bad clothes, your parents don't feed you properly, you don't know how to behave and you turn up with your dirty shoes on because you've had to traipse through the mud to get to school and they won't have you in the school. So by having this Christian preschool, these slum kids can go into the preschool, they get clothed properly, they get taught how to sit in class, they get fed a meal, the parents get access and they teach the parents how to take care of their kids and then because they've had this year in preschool, the uh, preschool uh, family that we work with, Ty and Gabrielle Vung, then take the children to the local government school and introduce them to the principal and they say, these children have been in my preschool for the last 12 months. They are lovely kids. These are their names. They know how to behave in class. They can read and write, some of them. And so because of that connection, the kids can then access the government school and they get an education. So this breaks that nexus of trying to get from a slum even into a basic school in the city of Yangon in Myanmar or Burma. This lady, I want to tell you just briefly about her. Uh, I, I turned up in a village in the evening. There were 30 women sitting there, 40 women, and they were so excited. These are some of the recipients of the microloan we had given them. And uh, they stood up, uh, about five of them stood up and shared their testimony through translation. And this lady stood up, she said, um, my $100 loan has changed my life. Before I got that, I had right, trying to raise two or three children. They couldn't go to school because I couldn't afford the uniform and the shoes and the books that they needed. And I only had enough money to give them two meals a day and I just had to just survive one day at a time. But she said, I received a $100 loan and I started a business. And I said, what was your business? She said, I'm selling firewood. So she said, I got my $100 loan. I bought a, a pair of old-fashioned uh, tripod scales and I got them certified by the government to say that they were accurate. And then she said, I used the rest of the money and I got a truckload of timber delivered out the front of my little house. And she said, I bought the wood wholesale and I sell it by the kilo. So I put six kilos of weights on this side of the scales and I load up the six kilos of wood on the other so my customers can see they're getting good measure for their money. And she said, so now my kids are at school, they have a uniform, they have shoes, I can afford a book for them they're getting three meals a day and they are healthy. And she said, I've gone from living on $2 a day and my income's now between 4 and $5 a day. A $100 loan has changed my world. Thank you. This was in the evening and I, just as a joke, said, oh, well, where's my sample firewood? I want to take some of your firewood back to Australia to show people. I didn't know, but the very next day, the uh, partners we were working with took me to the lady selling breakfast and the lady selling firewood and the woman doing saris. And I went around each of these places and this lady turned up. She said, now Richard, last night you wanted firewood. So she said, here you go. Here's your firewood. Please take this back to Australia and tell people my story and thank them for their generosity. So that's, uh, that's uh, Entrust. That's just a little snapshot. We've uh, just got a new brochure out. It's on the table where your name badges are. And we talk about investing. Uh, some of you will be investors in a superannuation fund or in term deposits or maybe the share market or maybe a property um, and some of you will just be investing in your food for the next week. That's okay as well. But when we invest, whatever we invest in, we want to get a return for our money. We want to see that if we invest on the stock market that the share price won't crash and burn or if we buy a property that the property won't go down that hopefully will go up. We want to invest wisely in our own investments. If you go to the supermarket, you always try and buy the, I always try and buy the things on special because I don't want to pay full retail when I can get it for half price. And so that's about investing, about being wise stewards of our resource. And when we invest for the kingdom of God, we want our investment to be wise. When you invest in some chairs for your church, 
that's a great investment because you can get more people in it's actually more comfortable you can sleep more through the sermons that's really good but uh, investing in the kingdom of God is about when we give uh, to God outside of ourselves but we want to make a wise investment and we're no different with, uh, with what we do the armour of God I've called my message ready to fight I wonder how many of us are actually ready for a fight about uh, four years ago I uh, bought a motorbike and the motorbike uh, was a Suzuki Veluzia 800 V Twin. Now that will mean nothing to most of you, maybe a couple of the guys know. Um, it had, uh, for some strange reason, the baffles had been taken out of the exhaust and my wife could hear me coming about two blocks away. It was boom, 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 boom. This huge big motorbike. It didn't look unlike this one here. I referred to it as my hardly a Davison because I couldn't afford a Harley. I just could only afford a Suzuki. But uh, with my bike, my wife said, you can have a bike, but I must insist on a couple of things. I want you to have the right gear when you ride your bike. So I bought an open face helmet and I bought a full face helmet and I bought a, a leather Marlon Brando a- angular zip leather jacket with a couple of tassels on it and I had special leather gloves with, with Kevlar knuckles on the back of them uh, to protect my knuckles if something happened. And I bought some jeans that looked like normal jeans but they were lined with Kevlar on the backside and down the legs. So if I came off the bike and was skidding down the freeway on my backside that the Kevlar would protect my skin. Then I had special riding boots so if the bike fell over and it landed on my ankle my ankle wouldn't get ground away as I slid up the freeway on this bike. Well by God's grace and a bit of wisdom I managed to stay on the bike and actually didn't crash it But uh, I had all this riding gear and I was prepared for battle. I was prepared with the right sunglasses. I had one of those flame uh, masks on there. And when you're my age and you've got all the right gear on and your bike sounds like a a, a bikey's bike and you pull up at the lights, no one is going to mess with you. (laughs) They don't know what's underneath all the gear but it looks pretty nasty. I didn't want to bore you with a photograph of myself with all the gear on. But if I came off, I was protected. I had helmets and gloves and special jeans and boots and everything that was protecting me. But I still had to ride wisely. Just because I had the gear on, it didn't mean I could ride like an idiot. Um, And uh, you never saw me on the freeway on a 40 degree day or riding up through the Black Spur on a 40 degree day with a t-shirt, shorts and flip-flops on. Although we do see people on motorbikes with t-shirts, shorts and flip-flops and I go, wow, they are way more brave than I would ever be. So when we are involved in a a, a hobby or a pursuit, you have to wear the appropriate gear. And it's no different as Christians. We say we are Christian and we've learnt this morning about putting on the armour of God and we've got the gear, but do we use it? Is it effective in our day-to-day Christian life? We can go through all the symbols and all the analogies of all these things, but what does that mean for us as individuals? What does it mean for us as a church? How does all these protection, all these offensive and defensive weapons that God has given us, what does it mean tomorrow morning when the alarm goes off at 6 o'clock and you go, oh, it's Monday, I've got to go to work. How does that affect you then? How does that affect me then? Paul had a knowledge of Roman weaponry because of his frequent imprisonment. And I'm sure Paul sat in the prison and watched these Roman guards coming and going with all their gear on 
and that was where he would have drawn from his extensive experience of understanding and making an application between Roman armour and our Christian life. If we are serious about being effective as a church and as believers, if we want to be a witness for Jesus in the situation where God has placed us, and it will be different for all of us, we need to follow five instructions for a good fight and which Paul gives us in this passage. So I want to share with you this morning five instructions as to how to have a good fight and uh, when you go uh, home from church this morning, somebody, what did you learn at church this morning? I learned how to have a really good fight. It'll be uh, interesting. So there they are there. Be strong, protect yourself, stand firm, have faith and pray. And I have drawn these out of the same passage that uh, we've been looking at this morning. And I want to take, take just a couple of minutes. I won't spend too long on them and you might want to take some notes. But be strong in verse 10. Be strong in the Lord and his power. It's not our power. It's God's power that we are strong in. God is strong and he wants us to be strong as well. He has given us weapons, but we need to learn how to use them. If I just had the helmet and the leather gear and all the motorcycle gear to go down to the supermarket and my motorbike stayed in the garage, it would look a bit strange, wouldn't it? So appropriate gear, appropriate weapons for the spiritual battle in which we are involved. The devil can throw all he wants at us, but we need to know how to be strong and to stand against the inevitable attacks that will take place. So how do we stand strong and how can we be strong in the Lord? Well, the second thing is by protecting ourselves. In verse 13 of Ephesians 6, it says we need to protect ourselves just like a Roman soldier or a biker, we need protection. We need to put on God's armour every day. The, The Roman soldiers, they had to have two people to help them dress. One guy to put the gear on, but the other one had to help him hook it all up as we saw this morning with the children. Christian cannot um, dress himself in his armour. He needs some help. And the army, you couldn't sleep in this stuff. You wouldn't get a very good night's sleep. You had to take it off in the evening and put it on the next day. And it reminds me that we protect ourselves by putting on God's armour on a daily basis. It's not something we do when we become a Christian and we're good for life. It's something we must consciously think about every single day. How do we put on the armour of God? We put it on by praying. We put it on by reading God's word. We put it on by having fellowship with each other. We put it on by being accountable one to another, by being part of a small group, by helping with the Sunday school, by leading a youth group, by taking something for the elderly people in our church. Every day we must put on God's armour and be aware of the fact that we're not on our own. That we do have the sword of the Spirit and the belt of truth and the helmet of salvation and the feet of the good news of the Gospel but it's something we put on daily. Let's not become complacent because we think that we're protected by God but we have to be active in how we go about that. I try to read a Bible verse every single day. I try to spend some time in devotions every single day. And I must confess I don't make it every single day. But, but for me, it's better to read one verse and think about that for a couple of minutes and pray at the start of my day than to think, oh, I'm going to do a chapter tomorrow and never get to it. And so often the verse that I read, I have a little app on my phone actually, I can push the verse of the day, so often that verse is so applicable for the circumstances I find myself in for the day. So if you can read it five chapters a day, God bless you, and I, I think that's fantastic. But if you're not doing anything, 
just pitch for a verse a day and get an app on your phone and, uh, and use technology that we have and uh, think about that. That's how we put on God's armour. The third thing is to stand firm. The Roman army was uh, significant because of its strength, because of the way it was equipped, the way the soldiers were trained and the instruction here is to not retreat but to stand firm. As Christians we need to keep moving forward and taking ground for, for the Lord but when the battle gets tough the Bible says stand firm, hold yourself. It didn't say start running in the other direction and so the offensive is to move forward the default position is to stand firm, hold your ground, do not retreat. And the same principle again applies uh, in the Christian life. We stand firm. How do we stand firm? We stand firm because we can make righteousness a part of who we are. Righteousness is simply thinking right and doing right. Part of my grammar. But thinking right and doing right is what it means to be righteous. Jesus was righteous because he knew no sin. And the children have reminded us this morning that we are righteous because of Jesus' shed blood because we have been offered forgiveness for our sins. And our righteousness is only in God. But we need to think right and we need to do right in our lives. The Greek word for righteousness is about our conduct in relation to others. The rights of others in business. The rights of others in legal matters. And it begins based on the relationship that we have uh, with our God. I was reading a little business devotion this morning uh, for, my, uh, for my devotion and it s- simply said if we are to be uh, Christians in the business or the secular community then people need to see that the way we run our lives, the way we run our families, the way we run our households needs to be based on the truth of scripture. So we do the right thing by people, we look after our staff we pay them a fair wage, we take care of them, we understand the issues, we are gracious to our debtors. We don't forgive them but we are gracious to them and we work with them. And it's about relationships, it's not about law. More grace and less law. The shield of faith is the next thing, number four. So have faith and our faith is our shield. The shield of faith is to protect us from fiery darts. Uh, I read that the, uh, the wood that they used for these shields was made of quite soft timber and it was a special wood so the fiery dart could land and stay in the wood and then it would just distinguish itself. If it landed on clothes it could catch fire but it landed in this special shield and it was a special wood that would let the darts extinguish themselves automatically. So our shield of faith, the faith that we have in the living God is something that will let the, the darts will hit us but when we stand firm uh, in front of God those little flames will just fall out. We need to look to ways, uh, for ways to be ready to share the good news at every opportunity. Not to be a preacher, not to preach at people. I was having lunch earlier in the year with a, a businessman from a secular business. And one of the things that Entrust does is we pitch ourselves as a, as a secular development organisation. We don't put our Christian faith front and centre on our website because it'll scare away half the people that we're trying to reach out to. So I was having lunch with this uh, executive of an of a energy company, actually, and he was asking me all these questions. How do you do? Why do you do it? How do you choose your projects? How do you know the money's going to get there? How do you follow up? How often do you go there? How do you get paid? And all these questions. He goes, are you like religious? And I went, no, nah, not religious. I said, hate religion. I said, religion's been a big curse in this world. It's caused more wars than you can imagine. I said, however, I am Christian 
and I follow the teachings of Jesus but I'm not religious. Oh good, he said, and he moved on to the next question. And the interesting thing is that so often as Christians we present as religious, not Christian. And that scares everybody right out the door. Oh, he's religious, don't want to have anything to do with him. But when we are real, when we live our lives, as real Christians before God, when we appropriately represent him in the places where he's put us, religion goes out the window and we simply say, I'm a follower of Jesus. I follow the teachings in the Bible. I'll sometimes refer to, I, I just follow the teachings in the old book and sometimes people pick up on it and some people don't. A friend of mine's a, Muslim, a former Muslim and uh, he is from Malaysia and when he's in Malaysia he says, I'm a Muslim who follows the uh, teachings of the prophet Jesus. And they go, what? So he has access to the Muslim community and he has access to speak into their lives but he says, I follow the prophet Yeshua. I follow the prophet Jesus. I follow his teachings because he says to love each other, to serve the world, to look after the, the poor and the widows and the orphans, to help the poor and I follow that. No one can argue with those principles. So let's not be religious. I realised uh, I was in Sydney last week and 88% uh, of Aussies say that church is good for their community. 88% of Australians say that church is good for the community. You know how many people turn up? One person in seven turns up once a month to a church. So that tells me that people aren't against Christianity. They're against religion because so often we present it as religion. So have faith, the shield of faith. Next thing or the final thing in this uh, list is to pray. Matthew, 6, uh, Matthew 26, 41, Jesus said to the disciples, watch and pray so you won't fall into temptation. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. And when we pray, we actually submit ourselves to the will of God. When we pray, we recognise there's nothing that we can do, God has to work in and through us. When we pray, we say, Lord, not your will, not my will be done, but your will be done. And when we have struggles and trials and tribulations and we have pressures that come to us on all fronts, when we stop and pray, it makes us recognise who God is and it helps us recognise our dependence on him. When we speak and we live out God's word, it's the most powerful weapon that we have. Praying keeps us alert. Always keep on praying. So those are the five instructions from Ephesians 6. Be strong. Protect yourself. Stand firm. Don't retreat. Have faith in the living God and learn to pray. And that's, uh, that's what uh, putting on the armour of God is about. Here's a couple of other thoughts for you as I close. Putting on God's armour means displaying truth in every part of our life. So tell the truth. It re- means reflecting God's righteousness to others. It means sharing the gospel of peace, the shoes of, of the gospel. Sharing the gospel of peace in ways that are appropriate. It means that we need to grow in our faith ourselves in order to help others grow too. <clears throat> we need to understand our salvation. We can make it so complicated. It's actually quite simple. We need to feed ourselves on God's word and do what it says. We need to be alert in our prayers. We need to be led by God's spirit. I'm wondering if there's a piece of armour that we see in front of us. There's a piece of armour that you or I have been failing to wear. 
Is there one thing that God might have put on our hearts this morning that said, you know what? I'm not doing that very well. Maybe I'm not putting on God's armour each morning. Maybe I'm not using a truth in the way I run my business or the way I run my life. Maybe I'm not being very outgoing in the terms of appropriate um, witness for Jesus in my workplace. I wonder what that thing is. I would like you to have a think about it. Maybe God's just putting on your heart something this morning that he says, you know what Richard? I'd like you to do a little more work on that this week. Are we ready to fight? Are you ready to fight? We've been given all the weapons, we can understand all the theory, unless we engage in the battle, uh, we'll never know what's going on and we'll be ineffective. It's no good being ready for, for war, sitting in your tent, watching all the army fighting down here while you're just watching television. It's not going to work. When we're armed for battle, when God has armed us for battle, it means that he wants us to engage in the spiritual warfare to which we've been called. And if you forget the message this morning, next time you're going down the freeway and you see a biker with a leather jacket and a helmet and gloves and boots and, and riding gear, I'd like you to look at what they're wearing or what they're not wearing in some cases and ask God to use that to remind you that we are in a battle and we have been given his protection and he has promised us his protection. So, for, so if you forget everything else we've said, you're on the freeway in the morning and the bike goes past, you go, oh, God's protection for me. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for your love and your care. We thank you that you uh, have blessed us in every way, that we can trust you and that, uh, that you do love us and you want to uh, provide for us each day. Thank you that you've given us this armour, this protection. I pray that you'll help us to be on the offensive, to use it for the kingdom, to use it to grow your kingdom here in Montmorency, in the places where we work, and that with the people to whom we have connection day by day, that we won't be religious, that we won't preach at them, but we'll come alongside and form relationships with them, that we'll uh, love them and care for them and demonstrate your love to them, we pray. Thank you for each one here. We pray for the week ahead that will be effective and witness for you. I pray for this church, Lord, that it will be a shining light and continue to be a shining light in the community where you've placed it. We thank you for your love. We worship you and we say that we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you.